This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. So we are in Acts 13, and Acts 13 is really a continuation of Acts 11. Uh, Acts 12, which Bob Hughes preached on last week and just did a great job. I listened to his message. I always listen to messages when I'm not here. I thought he did a great job uh, preaching uh, from Acts 12, very engaging and clear what he had to say. But it's really uh, in the middle of a parenthesis. What has happened in Acts 11 that I just want to review very briefly because it's important to understand coming into Acts 13. In Acts 11, some unnamed evangelists, we don't know, they left Jerusalem because they were per- being persecuted there. This group of un- unnamed evangelists went to a cosmopolitan city called Antioch, began to share their faith, and people began to uh, come to Christ. Gentiles came to Christ. And so the head church down in Jerusalem uh, sent Barnabas, who was a, a key guy in the church, a leader. His nickname is Barnabas. It means son of encouragement. He came up to see what was happening among the Gentiles. He said, this is great, wonderful. God is at work. He celebrated the work of God uh, among the Gentiles, very much so. And then uh, he went to Tarsus and got Saul Uh, who was an early persecutor of the church who was converted by Christ. And so Saul and Barnabas teach this church for a year and help this church really get on their feet. Then what happens is a prophet comes and says there's going to be a big famine. So these new Christians uh, who are Gentiles say, let's pool our resources. We've got money. Let's pool our money and let's take it down as a gift to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Very much a a heart uh, to serve them, but a bridge-building act between Jew and Gentile. So these new Gentile people who've been incorporated into the church give to the the Jews. So they, they go down there and they deliver that gift. And then at 1225... Uh, chapter 12, verse 25, not the time, 1225, 1225, I don't know the exact time any of this happened, by the way, but uh, 1225, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So they returned back to Antioch, the church they helped found and help establish that begun by these nameless evangelists sharing the Lord. So here's the passage we're going to read today, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13, with Barnabas and Saul back at the church. Now therefore, I mean, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. 
Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today that the words of this text, this historical narrative would speak to us. We pray that you would open our eyes to your purposes all around us. We pray that you would give us your heart for people in need of the gospel. We pray that you would expand our vision beyond our own life, our own family, our own job, and our own church. And we pray that you would give us a, an, an international vision, a kingdom vision. We pray that you would just give us your heart today as we look at this passage. Lord, Lord adjust us where we have been too small-minded about your purposes, where we've been too selfish or too self-focused. And give us your heartbeat that we might ache with those who don't know you and that we might especially ache with those who've yet to receive a gospel witness as the ones we read about today. I pray you would fill me with your spirit to proclaim your truth, and I pray that you would encourage us all in your purposes and reset our vision for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is an interesting passage to preach uh, on a regular Sunday morning, and I say that because of what what I think of as the application factor, and that is, how do we apply this to all of us today? So if we were, uh, if I was speaking to a room full of church planters, this would be easy to apply. This is about going and preaching the gospel and establishing new churches. If this was a missionary conference, uh, this would be a selected text. Like, this is the fastball of the missionary conference messages. This is the appropriate... If we were sending out a church planting team, and may we, by God's grace, in the future, if we were sending out a missionary to a foreign land, this would be the go-to text for us to pray and explain. But we're not sending out a church planting team, and we're not sending out missionaries to foreign lands to reach the unreached today. Uh, We're having regular Sunday worship, and everybody will wake up tomorrow and go to their regular jobs, and young people will get ready to start school, some of you this week or next week or the next. And we're just sort of doing our regular thing here. And so we read this and go, wow, how does a story about these these groundbreaking missionaries really break into my life and break some ground in my own heart? How does it relate to me? Is this really relevant to me? And I want to preach this passage today and say I believe it's extremely relevant. As long as our lives are, we're building our lives relevant to God and to his purposes. If we are building our lives and our hearts towards God's purposes, then we will find the mission of the gospel, reaching people that don't know him, we'll find that to be very relevant. As a matter of fact, it would be hard to to pick a theme more relevant than the purposes of God, whether we're going to a foreign land or whether you're going to Addison tomorrow, wherever you work or whatever you do. This is relevant as long as we are... 
aligning our hearts with God's purpose. See, this is what we were created for. We were created to be those who are touched by the grace of God and then seek to see others touched by the same grace of God. We receive that we may give. We receive that we may send. We receive that we may pray for those who go. We receive so that we may share our testimony. We receive so that we may go on short-term mission as well, or some of us on long-term. So we all receive to be a part of what's going on in Acts 13. And don't we want to be a church? Don't we want to be a church that's, that's like this? That we could say, in Acts 13, we see our ideal. We see our dream. We see our goal as a church. We see uh, a vision for what God could do in us. Uh, now, there's no Saul here. There's nobody who's going to go off and write the Bible uh, so there's something unique here happen. I understand this is something unique. These are guys. The apostle to the Gentiles is now going to the Gentiles. He's going to cross water, so he's going overseas of sorts. And the gospel is going to give it, begin to spread into the Roman Empire. So I understand something that's happening here is historically totally unique. Yes, I got that. But the heart behind what is going, which is people with a heart to, to find those who don't know Christ and get the gospel to them, that doesn't end with the book of Acts. That's what we're created for. That's why we are here as a church. And so may God take what we see here and, and, and burn this into our hearts. And may he start this morning as we look at it. Okay, let's look at the text itself. Beginning in verse 1, the first thing we find out, is that there were some, uh, the, the leaders, the first thing we find out are who are the leaders of this church at Antioch. Verse 13, there were in Antioch prophets and teachers. <clears throat> and as we go through the list of prophets and teachers, we're going to find out that they really mirror their culture. This is a cosmopolitan city that is diverse, and these are diverse leaders. And normally, it's a good thing for the leaders of a church to represent the culture they're a part of and to reflect it. And so these are reflecting their culture, which is diverse. Sometimes it's better to have leaders in a church that don't reflect a culture. So, for instance, in a culture that is very um, <clears throat> homogeneous, where, there's no ch- where everybody's very similar or largely very similar, sometimes the Lord might want to assemble leaders that are very diverse and they speak prophetically into the culture as a representation of the gospel and the reconciling power of the gospel. That look at what God has done by assembling diverse leaders in the midst of a uniform culture. So that's a prophetic voice, an example into a culture. But here, it looks like these folks just represent their culture. They're from other places. Antioch, people had gathered from all kinds of places. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Um, And so it's a significant place. And uh, here's who we find is there. First of all, there is Barnabas. Barnabas is from the island of Cyprus. Uh, He's Jewish background, but he's not from Jerusalem. Uh, He's a leader in the early church. He's there when it gets established. We find him from the very early pages in Acts 4. He's a key leader who brings encouragement. He's the one who came and fanned into flame what God was starting in birthing this church. Next, there was a guy named Simeon who was also called Niger. Niger, it comes from the Latin word meaning black. So he was a black man, probably an African. So he, uh, you know, Northern Africa is not far from here. And so he probably is from Northern Africa and now lives there in, uh, uh, in Antioch. Lucius of Cyrene. He's definitely African because Cyrene is, uh, is a city that is in Libya. So he's from Northern Africa. So we have this, this Jewish guy from the island of Cyprus. Then we have uh, one, probably two men from Africa 
Then we have a guy named Manan, a member of the court of Herod. Now, there's a newer ESV translation that I'm reading from, which I realized this week, and uh, they translate, the, the newer tra- uh, version you have may translate that different. It doesn't say a member of the court, but the newer translation says a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, it's a word that indicates someone who's perhaps even grown up together. So the NIV says, Manan was, was who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, why is this important? Well, I think it's important because it reflects the kind of people in this church. They were diverse. This guy is a guy of power. He grew up likely with Herod Antipas, who is a ruler, the guy who ordered John the Baptist's execution, a guy who interrogated Jesus. He grew up with this guy who's killing the prophet, and now he's in this church. So it's a great story of conversion that happened in Manan's life, but it also means the church wasn't just all outsiders or all people who were marginalized by society. Some of these guys may have been marginalized. Some of their members may have lived on the margins of society. I don't know. This dude's got power. He grew up in the king's court. His family probably is well-connected. Perhaps his parents go on family vacations with the Herod family, and this is what he grows up with, hanging out with the rulers. So here's a guy who grew up with power, grew up in, in the upper echelons of society. He's in the church. And then we find Saul. Saul's brilliant. Saul was a persecutor of the church, a, ra- a trained rabbi, a scholar, a preacher, writes the, the bulk of the New Testament after his conversion, obviously, a persecutor of the church. But he's not from Jerusalem either. He's from Tarsus. And he's been brought in to help establish this church. So these people are from different places. They've gathered here in this city. And what they are doing as a church at this point is they are worshiping the Lord and they are fasting. It says, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what's the referent to they. Immediately, it's five leaders that were just mentioned. If you go to the beginning of verse 1, it says, now there were in the church at Antioch. So a uh, number of commentators think it was probably the whole church. We don't, can't say definitively, but the whole church, a group of the church, for sure five leaders of the church, but this group from the church are worshiping the Lord and they're fasting. This may have been congregational time of worship, congregational fasting. And the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And then look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the first point I want to make from this passage today is that the Spirit sends. The Spirit sends, S-E-N-D-S. The Spirit sends. Um, We're going to look at several things from the passage, but that's the first thing that we notice, that the Holy Spirit is about sending for the purpose of people hearing the gospel. That's the whole theme of this book. In chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells the disciples, you're going to be filled with the Spirit, and here's what's going to happen when you're filled with the Spirit. You're going to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, that's the surrounding area, to Samaria, a people they don't like at all, that they're at odds with. You're going to reach people very different than you, that you're prejudiced against and don't even like, the Samaritans, and, or at least their culture was that way, and then you're going to go to the end of the earth. So the very beginning of Acts says, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come down, and He's going to start sending you out. To take the gospel. That's what he tells the original disciples. Well, this is just a work of sending that goes on here. And they're now going to the end of the earth because they're going to be going to other parts of the Roman Empire. The Spirit sends so that people may be saved. The Lord's saving of someone finds its root back in the Lord's sending of someone. When someone is saved, it is because someone previously was sent. 
If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because someone was sent. Because someone was sent. We say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm an adult. I just grew up in the church. Well, did your church, when God created the world and said, let there be light, was that church created at that moment? I don't think so. That church was created because somebody met Christ, somebody felt a call to be a pastor, he may have taken some people with him, and they went and started a church, and then your parents became part of that church, maybe 50 years later, 100 years later, 5 years later, I don't know, maybe they were on the church plan, and you became a Christian in that church. But your background is someone was sent. Actually, all of us can root our conversions uh, back to the sending here, because Saul and Barnabas go to Gentile territory, And unless you're from Jerusalem and you're a Jew, you wouldn't have been reached. You would not have been reached had they not been sent. So saving is always the result of the Lord sending. That's his purpose. He wants to send so that people will hear the gospel. So the gospel has spread. It's now coming to the Gentiles. And what we see here is we are now at a place in Acts where we're breaking new ground. This is a new chapter literally, chapter 13, it's a new chapter in the advance of the mission. Let me say a word about mission and tell you how I'm going to use it for the rest of this uh, sermon because I'm going to use it in a very specific way, which I think is accurate but doesn't tell the whole story. When we say mission, we could be talking about the Great Commission, which has to do with going, evangelizing, baptizing, and then training up or discipling the new converts helping them mature. So helping people mature in the Lord is part of the mission. It's part of the Great Commission. It's what was happening in Antioch. People went, shared the gospel. Barnabas came and helped establish it. Saul came down and taught. So when Saul came from Tarsus and starts teaching this fledgling church and rooting them in the truth of the Bible, that's the mission. That's part of what they're supposed to do. But what I'm talking about here when I say mission is the sending part of the mission. And that's literally what mission means. The word mission comes from the Latin word, which means to send. So in Christian vernacular, oftentimes when we say, what's the mission? We mean the outgoing mission, the outreach mission. That doesn't mean that worshiping the Lord here is not part of the mission in the broad sense, or that children's ministry right now is not part of the mission, uh, or that this sermon, if you're already a Christian, is not part of the mission. This is. It's part of the broader mission, but there is this specific going and sending that's in view here, and that's what I mean when I say that word mission. So the mission is going forth, and check out the context of how the mission goes forth. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart these guys. Dennis Johnson, who wrote a commentary on Acts, we have it in the bookstore back here. We have John Stotts and Dennis Johnson's commentaries Uh, This is what he said about that verse. He said, world missions begin in worship. I love that. They are worshiping the Lord. They are not worshiping world missions. They are not worshiping the mission. They are not worshiping getting the gospel to the unreached. They are not worshiping church planting or a strategy. They are worshiping the Lord. But here's what happens. As they are focusing on the Lord, as they are adoring Christ, as they are submitting themselves to Jesus and His reign, as they are pouring out their heart of affection to the God who has saved them, as they are thinking about who He is and what He's done, and they are reflecting back through song and prayer and teaching and openness, laying their lives before the Lord, what happens is they get the Lord's heart, which is for people that don't know Him. 
So as they focus on the Lord, they get the Lord's heart, which in part is going to reach those who don't know Christ. I love that because we often make a real distinction between a vertical orientation, worshiping the Lord, and a horizontal uh orientation, which could be building our lives with other Christians and discipleship or reaching people that don't know Christ. So evangelism or edification of Christians. So we kind of separate those things. We've got the vertical with the Lord, and then we've got the horizontal, which is building up Christians and reaching people that don't know the Lord. But those all, those last two, they all stem from the Lord. I'm convinced that if we are in worship of the Lord, and they're fasting as well, if we are intent on the Lord, if we are listening to the Lord, if we're asking the Lord to shape our heart and shape our, uh, our ambitions and shape our desires, at some point, a big thing that's going to happen is there's going to become an outward orientation of our heart to those who don't know Him. And that's what we're going to hear. It's not the only thing we're going to hear, but that's something we're going to hear. We're going to hear the Great Commission. If we listen to the Lord, we're going to hear that. And that's what they do. They are worshiping and they are fasting, focusing on Christ. And he says, I've got something to say to you. You are cherishing me. You are honoring me. You are submitting to me. You are abstaining from food with an expectancy that I will speak to you. And here's what I want to say to you. Take your two best guys and send them out. Whoa, whoa, that's what the Lord says to them. These are the guys that found the church. These are the guys that led a lot of people to Jesus. This is their first pastor, their encourager, their big brother, Barnabas. This is their first teacher. And you want to talk about teaching. Uh, you, can, you want to know what Paul's teaching was like. Well, read your New Testament. There's never been a teacher like Paul. Here's a teacher who, who goes up to the third heaven and has a vision from the Lord at a point in his life. So this is a guy who is close to the Lord, that knows the Lord. And that teacher and that pastor, encourager, exhorter are going to be sent out because they are needed to take the gospel where it is not. Paul is the apostle, the sent one to the Gentiles. So he's called to go to the Gentiles. Now, he didn't send the whole church. He didn't say, hey, close up shop. And every one of you, I don't care what your gifts are, I don't care what you do, uh, if you're worshiping me and love me, every one of you are moving to Cyprus and South Galatia. He, do, he doesn't say that. He only takes two of them. He only takes two of them, and he sends them to go. Some are called to go. Most are called to stay. Some are called to go. Everyone is called to participate, though, and we're going to see that in a moment here. Everyone is called to participate in God's mission going forward. Everyone is called to be sent to their neighbor. Not everybody is to change their zip code for the purpose of gospel advance or change their nation. Not everybody is called to do that. Some are. But everybody is called to participate in local, regional, national, and international gospel expansion. And that's what's happening here in this church. So they look at the Lord. They're listening to the Lord. They're fasting. And the Spirit speaks go because the spirit sends that is part of the spirit's work in the book of acts the spirit sends people out acts 1 8 the whole basis of the book number two the church confirms the spirit sends but the church confirms look what it says verse three then after fasting and praying they laid their hands on them and sent them off so what does the church do here the leaders in concert with the church, but certainly the leaders leading this, the five leaders we hear, uh, we read about here, what do they do? They authenticate the calling. 
They validate the calling. They commission and they confirm the calling that the Holy Spirit spoke to Saul and about Saul and Barnabas. We don't know how he spoke. You know, there was said there was prophets in the church. One, maybe one of the prophets said, this is what the Lord's speaking, and everybody heard it and agreed. Maybe someone had an internal sense of witness, and they shared that, and everybody said, yes, that seems good to us. That seems to be what the Holy Spirit is saying. The Spirit has said to us, send you to. Uh, so we don't know exactly how it came down, but we know that the Spirit spoke, and then the church commissioned. The Spirit sent and then the church commissioned. And it says that they laid their hands on them. That's not like, I'm going to lay hands on you. You know, it wasn't like grabbing them by the neck. You're going to do what? It wasn't that kind of laying hands on them. It was laying hands on them and praying. In the book of Acts, we see hands being laid on to heal people. And in the ministry of Jesus, healing. Um, for Pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. They lay hands on them. But here what they're doing, I'm sure they prayed for them to be filled with the Spirit. But what they're doing is they're laying their hands on them and they're saying, We partner with you. We support. We're with you. We're not going to Cyprus, but we're sending and we're with you. We've been praying and fasting and don't for a minute think that ended right there. They continued, I'm sure, to be praying for their, their fellow workers there that they sent out. We're commissioning. We're recognizing. We're not issuing a call. We're recognizing what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing, and we're with you. We're partnering. We're commissioning. We're sending you. I love the fact here that you see both of these, the Holy Spirit speaking and the church's participation. Saul didn't say, he's not a freelancer. He's not a maverick independent that just says, yeah, God told me and so I'm going and do it and just forget. I'm not really a part of a church, don't really need a church. The Holy Spirit told me, so what does it matter what these people are, just these other five people? They don't matter, the church, who are they? God told me. I mean, if anybody didn't need hands laid on them, it's, it's Saul. His conversion, Jesus appears to him personally. His conversion, I mean, he is called to be the, gospel, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. God called him. Does he need these guys? I mean, does he? if God appears to you, do you really need Barnabas and a Simeon and Manan? Yeah, Manan was with Herod the Tetrarch, but Jesus himself appeared to Saul. Do you really need the endorsement of them? Do you really need the church? God said it. But he does. He, he has them send him. Now look, at, I love the way this reads. Verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. The church sent them. Or leaders of the church, we don't know who actually had hands, but it laid hands. But it's the whole church, through the leaders at least. So the church sends them. Verse 4, so being sent by the Holy Spirit, well, who is it? Is it the church or is it the Holy Spirit? Yes, It's both. It's the Holy Spirit that calls. It's the Holy Spirit that sends. The Spirit sends, and he confirms that through through the church. John Stott said something I thought was very helpful in his commentary about this. He said there's two extremes in church planting and in international missions, and we want to avoid both extremes. The first is the tendency to individualism, by which a Christian claims direct personal guidance by the Spirit without any reference to the church. The second is the tendency to institutionalism by which all decision-making is done by the church without any reference to the Spirit. So we don't want individualism. We don't want institutionalism. Individualism is somebody just says, God told me, I, I'm doing this, I don't, doesn't matter what anybody thinks. That, that is not a safe place to be. On the other hand, we don't want institutionalism, which is the church controlling all the mission. This church wasn't birthed by even an official church, but it's not the church saying, you know, or the leaders of the church saying, 
you know, we know who's supposed to do what and nobody can hear from the Lord. And only these three prophets and these two teachers um, and we, we will pick out and we will uh, we will initiate everything. It's both. It's the sense of calling to an individual. It's the sense of calling to all. It's the Holy Spirit sending and people recognizing and confirming that so that it works together. So what I love about that is that we can all be senders. We can all be senders. They lay their hands. It, it's an expression of the church sending. It's an expression of the church saying, we, 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 we discern, as far as we know, we discern what the Holy Spirit is doing here. And we want to be on God's agenda. And if the Holy Spirit's doing anything, He's sending. He's planting churches. He's reaching the lost. He's going to the nations. We are behind what the Spirit is doing. We're submitted to that. And so we're laying our hands confirming what He's doing. And they send them out. Now, because they're a part of that, you know it was a painful situation. I mean, it had to be difficult. This is the guys that trained us in the Lord. So this is our first church, first church in Antioch. <clears throat> they really could be first church of Antioch. So their first church, they've got Barnabas. They've got the best teacher in the history of the church teaching them. You're going to take the best, history, the best teacher in the history of the church, and you're going to take him away from us. Our encourager, you're going to take him away. The guy that cared for us, you're going to take him away. What are we going to do? Saul could answer all the Bible questions. Anybody want to know a question, he could answer. You have to realize that if you've been a Christian for any length of time and read very much of the Bible, you know more about the Lord than these Gentiles who are newly converted. You would know more. You would be able to answer questions better than a lot of them. Uh, well, after a year of Saul's teaching, if they showed up for all the lectures and teachings and sermons, they might know more than us. But, but you know what I'm saying. They weren't familiar. They didn't have the history we do. And so they're losing people that they love. I mean, think about, think about your first church, the, the place there's someone. Where the, if, if you have a leader who invested in you and helped you, think about that experience. Think about the first person. If you had somebody help you understand the Bible and kind of get you going and get you rooted, think about that person and what it would be like if, whoa, that, that person's leaving and they helped me. As challenging as the road is for Saul and Barnabas, they're going to have a challenging road, but it's challenging for those in Antioch as well. So when a missionary is sent out, when a church is planted, uh, it's often more difficult for those in Antioch than those who go to Cyprus. Uh, for those who stay. And so they stay and they send. Um, one author that I read, he described the mission strategy, the missionary program of Antioch this way. This is really helpful. He said, you can summarize the missionary program of Antioch with five words. Five words. Prayer, fasting, guidance, meaning what's the Holy Spirit leading, release, and commissioning. That's what he said. Five things. Prayer, fasting, guidance, release, and commissioning. They're praying. They're waiting on the Lord. They're skipping meals and crying out to the Lord. They're sensing a direction. That's guidance. They're releasing. We love these. We need, we need these. I can imagine that conversation. Man, we need Saul. Are you kidding? Uh, we, we, they, we're releasing to the Lord, and we're commissioning. Open hands before the Lord, hands laid on them. We are sending. That was their strategy. Now, we're not planting a church today. I'm not, a, I'm not concluding this with, oh, and here's, here's our church. Here's what we're doing right now. Pray that we will. We're not doing that today. We're not sending out a missionary today. And actually, I think that's a good time to talk about this. 
Because if we are doing that and we preach this, we just say, well, yeah, we don't really believe that except on send-off Sunday. But I want to believe that when we're not planting a church today and we're not sending out a missionary today. I want to believe that God would take what we're reading here and put that deep in our DNA and in our soul and, uh, and convince us of, of, this, of this mission so that we'd be praying towards this end and uh, preparing as appropriate. So, prayer, fasting, guidance, release, and commissioning. La- a third point is the missionaries preach. So, the Holy Spirit sends, the church commissions, and the missionaries preach. <clears throat> what we see is, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm sorry, they... Uh, they, they go down and they take a boat to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word. I'm in verse five. They proclaimed the word of the God, the word of God in the synagogues. So they go over to Cyprus. Cyprus is about 130 miles away by boat. Now, here's something I had no idea of until this week. And this is interesting to me. Um, maybe do. But Cyprus was like the Hawaii of their day. It's an island. It's where Barnabas is from. But it was a beautiful uh, someone called it, one of the ancient writers called it Happy Isle. And uh, so you know how we would all, if you had a missionary, if we had a missionary come in and was doing fundraising to plant a church in the Bahamas or Hawaii, you know how they go, you go like, that's really soft. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm called to Hawaii, you know. Uh, but Saul, who gives his life for the gospel, that's the first place he's sent to. From what I read, he's sent to Hawaii. That's where he starts out in a, a paradise island. So... I've often wondered on tough days, hey, what is the Lord doing in Hawaii? And maybe I should go and find out. Maybe the Lord's calling me to kind of sense, just to assess what's going on there. And uh, so if you ever meet someone called to St. Thomas or somewhere in the Caribbean or something like that, uh, just know they've got a verse and they've got an example. Uh, and it's, uh, it's Saul, so that's hard to argue with. So they go there. It's where Barnabas is from, which may be why they go there. They go back to a home area where he would know people we don't know. Uh, but they start preaching the gospel in the in the synagogues, which makes sense. These people already believe the Hebrew Bible, which is what we call the Old Testament. So they already believe the Hebrew Bible. So they start preaching Jesus and show how Christ is uh, foretold uh, in the Old Testament. They start preaching the gospel. So then they go across the country to the other side, the island of Cyprus, to the other side, and they go to uh, Paphos, which is the seat of authority there. And there's a proconsul named Sergius Paulus. A proconsul might be equivalent to what we call a governor or something like that. So this island, Cyprus, is uh, under Roman rule. And they're a territory of Rome, a colony of Rome, or not really a colony, but a territory under Rome. And they have a guy who rules over the island, and his name is Sergius Paulus, which is a pretty distinguished name. I could just I can envision this guy. Sir, I'm Sergius Paulus. I mean, that's pretty cool. So he is leading the island, and he wants to hear, it says, about the Word of God. Verse 7, he summons Barnabas and Saul to hear the Word of God. So they must be bearing some fruit. If you got the governor of the island says, hey, I want to, can they come and tell me about this gospel they're preaching? So either one of his friends got converted, or they planted a church there, and it's taking off, and it reached the ears of the governor. So he wants to hear the gospel. The missionaries preach. They preach in the first city, Salamis. Now they're preaching. Maybe throughout. Maybe they did a preaching tour throughout the country. Doesn't tell us. But we do know when they return, there are churches there. So they they, they preach uh, in this city, and the ruler wants to hear about it. This guy Sergius Paulus, and uh, there's this encounter because he's got a court wizard. Um, 
a court astrologer, a court magician. There's a lot of descriptions about what this guy would do. Now, it says that he was a man of intelligence. Sergius Paulus, verse 7, a man of intelligence. But though he's intelligent, he also is subject to some of the, of his, the worldview of his, of his culture and of his day, which is if you're a ruler, you need like a spiritual guy on your staff that can interpret dreams, uh, that knows potions for healing, uh, that can forecast what's going to happen because uh, he, hears, he hears things, see things, he's a visionary, he can predict the future, he, maybe he can read the stars, something like that. Uh, you also, it's good to have a guy on your staff that can like pronounce curses on people and stuff like that. So they, they say, one, one place I read said that these guys would use little figurines. And so I don't know if there was some kind of uh, voodoo-esque thing going on. But so it doesn't hurt to, you know, try, seek to rule politically. But then if all else fails, have your magician astrologer guy just uh, make that guy blow up or something. So, you know, spontaneously combust. I don't know. So they, all this kind of magic, divination, uh, prediction of the future... Uh, he was part, he's with him. Now, he is uh, a false prophet. He was with the proconsul, but he's a, uh, verse 6 says he's a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So he's not, he's not prophesying from the Lord. He's Jewish, but probably only culturally. Uh, no rabbi would claim this guy and say, oh yeah, this guy's really walking out uh, the Hebrew Bible's requirements. No, this guy would be defying, if he's a magician, which is what it says he was and in, in, that, in that culture, uh, he would not be a, a good uh, Hebrew man, but he'd be going the wrong way. He's a false prophet, he doesn't predict the truth, and his name is Bar-Jesus. What is Bar-Jesus? Bar is son, or son of it means his name is literally son of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the same name as Joshua, it means Yahweh saves. So he's son of God saves. I mean, what an ironic name, son of God saves, because he's opposing the Lord. And so he is there, and it says that, um, verse 8, he opposed Saul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He doesn't want Sergius Paulus, the governor, he doesn't want him to convert. Why? Well, maybe he knows something about Christianity. Maybe he's met some Christians and he knows it's bad for his business. Uh, he's, his, his role in the court, he is with him. Uh, he's not going to be with him, perhaps. If he gets converted and he believes the truths of the Bible and of Christ, then he's going to turn away from the need of a magician to be with him. And uh, so he probably thinks it's bad for business and, uh, if, if he goes their way. So he's going to seek to... Turn them away. Now, this is what's so interesting. On the breaking, going across the seas, at least 130 uh, miles out to Cyprus, and taking the gospel into totally Gentile territory, here are the first words of witnessing or preaching we get from Paul. Now, it starts calling him Paul from here on out, because now he's on mission. On, he's a missionary, so he's going to take a name that's relatable. Saul's a Hebrew name. Paul's his Roman name. So he starts going by his Roman name, and says, verse 9, he's filled with the Spirit, this is his introduction here. The first thing we hear him say, um, he doesn't say, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's the first thing he says. He's filled with the Spirit. He looks intently at Bar-Jesus, and he says, you son of the devil. That's, okay, well, what do you really feel about him, Saul? You son of the devil, this is serious. You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? 
John the Baptist comes announcing Jesus, make, make a straight pathway for the Lord. This guy takes a straight pathway. There's a straight pathway between the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, into Sergius Paulus' heart and life. There's a straight pathway for the gospel through the messengers Saul and Barnabas. And this magician is wicked. He's of the devil because he's trying to get in there and persuade him not to believe somehow. So he says, don't you dare do that. And then he says, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now, he doesn't mean the hand of the Lord for blessing like it was in Antioch. Hand of the Lord is on him. He sees a dark mist and he goes blind for a period of time. Doesn't tell us how long, but he's blinded. The magician, in essence, has, I wouldn't use the word spell because that's not what the Holy Spirit does, but he kind of gets, you know, what he's a fake of, the really th- real thing happens to him. He is, in essence, judged for resisting and uh We don't know when he gets his sight back, but he can't see, and he's looking for someone to lead him around. Verse 12, the proconsul believed. Now, look at this. When he saw what had occurred, that is, his magician buddy got blinded, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The Holy Spirit sends, the church commissions, the missionaries preach the word of the Lord. And here's the last point. It's a brief one. Number four, the Lord saves. The Spirit sends, the church commissions, the missionaries preach... The Lord saves. And he saved him through the preaching. He used this sign. Certainly the Lord used signs. Uh, the Spirit uses signs and wonders. But verse 12, he, he's astonished. Look at this. He's astonished. Why? Because this magician guy is blind when Paul rebuked him. No. He's astonished by the teaching of the Lord. They preach the gospel. He is astonished and he believes. Signs and wonders are great as a way to point to the Lord, but it is always the declaration or the testimony of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. That's what brings salvation. And He believes and He is saved. He's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, there it is. So how is this relevant to us? Love it. Spirit sends, church commissions, preach. He's saved. It's an exciting how He's saved. There's a cool story to it. Well, here's how I think it relates to us. Number one, Saul and Barnabas are sent, but here's the reality. Number one, we are all sent. We're not all sent to foreign nations physically, but we're all sent. We're all pretty familiar with the, I shouldn't say we all, numbers of us might be familiar with the Great Commission that God sends disciples and, and us into all the world to preach the gospel, to go and preach the gospel to baptize, to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. We're less familiar with John's great commission, which is what he records that Jesus says at another time. John twenty twenty one: as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Jesus says, the Father sent me to bring salvation, and I'm sending you. And by virtue, he, he sends them, and I understand there's a unique way in which they go and establish the church and establish the scripture, which we're preaching, reading from, preaching from today. But we're sent as well. By him, with his word. We're sent. Father sends the Son, the Son sends us. And so, for most of us, living sent will not mean that for the sake of being a sent person, we change locations, that we move uh, you know, to another state or another country. For m- most of us are called to stay. That's what happened in Antioch. They're called to stay and build the church. Reach the lost in their city. But we are all Sent. That is, we are sent into workplaces. You're sent to a job site. You're sent to a client's office. You're sent to the retail establishment where you work. You're sent to the restaurant where you work. You're sent 
uh, as you get on a plane for your job, travel to other places. You're sent to the classroom if you're a student in a school. You're sent to a classroom. You're sent into a family. If there's people in your family that don't know the Lord or your extended family, God put us in those families because he sent us with a message to that family. Uh, we're sent into a neighborhood. It's not by accident you live on the block you live on. Well, yeah, but that's the house I picked. Well, it is, but God providentially arranged that you would have the neighbors that you have. You're sent into a neighborhood. So we are all sent with the gospel. Sent is not a description of the original apostles alone. Sent is not a description of modern-day church planters, church planter missionaries alone. Sent is a definition of a Christian. All are sent, some are sent to other places. All are, some are sent to move across the world, but everybody's sent. And so we're sent to where we are, and then we're sent to support those that are sent to other places through prayer, giving, support, all kinds of things. But, but we are all sent. Now, here's an observation that I don't have a verse on this, like a do missionary to Hawaii. I told you the verse on that, so you'll always know it. But uh, I don't have a verse on this, but this is an observation. I believe that God usually, not always, but usually sends people like Saul and Barnabas, usually sends missionaries, usually sends church planters, usually sends church planting teams from churches where the people are living a lifestyle of being sent. So that it wouldn't be a shocker. I mean, these people are sent into Antioch, so they're going to miss these guys. But it's probably not a shocker for them to go, whoa, somebody's going to share the gospel with someone? This is crazy. They're going to say, well, of course there's people over there that need the gospel. I'm not called to go over there. I'm called to go to whatever they did, the, the marketplace where they were, the neighborhood where they were. But where people live in a community and they live a sent lifestyle where they are, I believe generally it's from that context that the Lord sends people other places because it's a natural overflow. Now, the Lord is free to do whatever he wants. He can get a cold, selfish, insular, don't care about the lost, self-focused group of Christians, and he can pull a couple of firebrands like Saul and uh, Barnabas. He can pull them out of death and go take the fire somewhere. God's welcome to do that. But God's desire, I believe, is that they would be uh, just uh, there'd be a fire burning in that location in Antioch, in Frisco, or if you're visiting here from somewhere else in your church, that there would be a fire in that church that the fire spreads and that people are being sent as a natural outgrowth of the gospel taking root in people's lives. Because Acts 1 8 is that the gospel moves the life of the Spirit sends, the church commissions, those who go testify and preach, and the Lord saves. That is His desire. So, it really is true that if I live a sent life in the zip code where He's called me to be, that it can have an influence on the nations. It's not a direct, it's not just because I share the gospel with my neighbor, uh, that means somebody's going to be converted in Nepal tomorrow is a direct, I'm not saying that thing, but I am saying if we are all seeking to pray and live in this way, there is a culture, there is a climate, there is a movement of the gospel which is attractive and is inspiring as it, and, and causes people to be open to being sent. And the Lord desires to raise up leaders in that environment and send them. And so, really, to live, we're all sent, and to live sent locally, I believe, really can have an impact outside of our area here. And I believe that's the Lord's desire, and I pray we uh, become that type of church. By the way, 
Let's note that Sergius Paulus becomes a Christian and he's the ruler of the isle. But if we back up, we say, how did that happen? Well, Saul and Barnabas preached to him, yes, but how did that happen? Well, Antioch sent them. Yes, but how did that happen? Well, the Holy Spirit called them, to told them to go. Yes, but how is there anybody in Antioch for them to be sent to, to be sent from? Because some nameless people we don't even know took a risk, stepped across the boundary, witnessed to Gentiles, and they became Christians and a church formed. So this guy over here, if we track his conversion, influential guy, really influential guy, could, could affect the gospel going across that island. If we look at his conversion, it goes all the way back to persecution in Jerusalem, sent people out, people we don't know went witnessing. And what's the result? Now we have churches in Cyprus because the Holy Spirit sent. We have a leader being converted all the way back because someone will never know until maybe the day of judgment. But we'll never know that this guy, these guys, these ladies opened their mouth and witnessed. That's powerful to me. The, 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 the domino effect of being faithful where they are. Look what happens. Number two, there's two quick points that we're done. Um, number one, we're all sent. Number two, we're called to pray and fast for a mission, for our mission. We're called to pray and fast for our mission. Last week, Bob Hughes preached a great sermon. And one of his points was, you know, we can pray these kind of lame prayers, m- meaning that you know, maybe they're not super articulate or we just, Lord, just do this. And the Lord in his grace takes our little prayers and does glorious things with them. I think that's what is going on here. They're focusing on the Lord, they're praying, they're fasting, and the Lord speaks to them. But how does the Lord speak to them? Out of a posture of praying, listening, worshiping, it's on their mind and it's on their heart. They're going to the Lord. And so we can pray, maybe they're weak, but earnest prayers, and God uses them to do amazing things. And these prayers are wed with, with fasting. What's that all about? Is this like they had a weight loss club? Or, no, fasting is a spiritual discipline. It means that they're here, and here's what they're communicating to the Lord by their fasting. That, Lord, to hear from you and to be about your purposes and to know your direction for us as a people, it's more urgent than me eating food. Communing with you is more urgent and a greater need. My stomach is growling and making me aware of a real need right now. Need food. But there's a greater need. Need the Lord. Need to be about His purposes. Need to be about His heart. Need to have His concerns. Need to be be obeying Him. And so they fast. And if I'm going to be honest with you, which I'm not going to be dishonest, If I'm going to be honest with you, I say that is not a regular discipline in my life. That's not an area of strength. That's not even an area of burden. I've been very convicted reading this this week because it's not a passage on fasting. But you'll note it's mentioned twice. It's a huge part. I've been convicted personally about this. It says, number two, verse two, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, he speaks. Boy, everything was a little clearer for them. He speaks. Okay, he speaks and says, send them. So me... If we've got the word of the Lord, I'm ordering a pizza. I'm saying, okay, fast is over. I get to eat. Let's send them. But before we do, I'm running down and uh, stop going through the drive-thru, in and out. What does everybody want? I'm headed that direction. Here's what they do once God speaks. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they continue fasting. For the Lord, you're spoken. Now we're going to fast. We're going to pray about this. I don't know what they're praying. Maybe a location or timing. I don't know. 
But they're fasting and they are praying. Very likely could have been the whole church. We don't know who the they is. It could have been the representatives. But it seems to be the whole church is involved because when they come back from this missionary trip, they're going to gather the whole church and report. And I don't think it would be gathering the whole church and saying, by the way, this is what we worked out with five of your leaders and you never heard of this before. I believe when you're sharing with the whole church, the church has had ownership in this. So it could be the whole church fasting. Derek Thomas, a commentator, a Presbyterian pastor, said this. This fasting changed the course of history. He's being provocative, but listen. Changed the course of history. From this point onward, Christianity invaded the heart of the Roman Empire. It transformed the very capital of Rome itself. These people who are praying, Lord, we we submit our lives to you. We love you. What do you want to do? What what are your plans that go beyond us? We're fasting to hear. There's There's a waiting and an urgency and a need. That changed the world. The gospel went to the Rome, to the heart of the Roman Empire from here, right here. It's just telling to me that he mentions fasting twice there. It's significant. So, we're all sent, we're all called to pray, and perhaps even to fast, trusting the Lord for his mission. And here's the last point. Three, ask the Lord, when we're praying and fasting, let's ask the Lord for his heart for lost people. I mean, this is what drives this whole chapter. It's not about expanding the brand. It's not about franchising the church. It's not about extending the influence of Antioch so that it's known all over the world. It's about people in Cyprus and next they're going to Southern Galatia don't know Jesus and are going to hell for eternity. And they need the gospel. That's, that's what it's about. And so let's ask the Lord for a heart for his people. Starting, let's start at ground zero with our own family, people that don't know Christ in our family, and then expand out. Our, our neighborhood workplace, our school, our state. Our, I mean, I'd go city first. Our city, our state, our nation. And then the world, missions beyond us as well. Derek Thomas, who I just mentioned, who I'm happy to quote because he's a really, uh, he's not a hyper guy. When I read him, he's just a very reasoned, thoughtful guy. He's a Presbyterian, so he's a th- smart Reasoned guy. That's what a lot of Presbyterian authors are. And uh, this is what he wrote. He's talking about this passage. He says, Not to have a heart for missions is the same as not having a heart for Jesus Christ. It shows an indifference to what brought the Savior into the world and what drove him to the cross. Missions is at the heart of God. He goes on to say, Ask yourself some serious questions about your own involvement in the work of missions, through prayer, through financial support, through writing letters of encouragement or email, emailing encouragement, volunteering for mission trips, and perhaps for some, considering long-term missions involvement. All of that drawn for a heart for people. Let's go back to the very beginning. What is happening? They're worshiping the Lord. The Lord gives them a heart for people that don't know, or makes clear, they probably already had a heart, makes clear that now's the time. The Holy Spirit sends, the church commissions, these missionaries preach, and the Lord, the Lord saves. It doesn't start, I don't believe it starts, and I'm all for this kind of thing, it doesn't start with a map of the world on your wall, it doesn't start with just studying the unreached, that's all very valuable. It starts with Jesus. And if we get close to Jesus and we hear from him, if we're in a position to even stop and listen, what we'll hear is his heart beating. 
And his heart will be beating to reach the lost and to build up the church, the people of God, both. But reach the lost. We'll hear, we will hear his heart beating for those who don't know him yet. And they live on our block and they live across the planet. And he cares and he wants us to care. So start where we are, not with the nations, but with Jesus. And then start with where the Lord's placed you. It's, it's not good to be unfaithful locally, but want to go export my unfaithfulness and be faithful somewhere else. That makes no sense whatsoever. Be faithful where we are. And then be asking how we can be faithful to export and to support the exporting through prayer, fasting, giving, and participation in church planting and missions beyond us. I've, I've been very affected by this passage. I've been thinking a lot about this in recent months. And very affected by this passage. I think the Lord wants to take these truths um, and burn them into the DNA of our, of our church, really. And uh, it, it starts with looking to Him and asking Him. So let's do that as we close. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.